This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. Recently, we heard about gender bias with heart health and worse outcomes for women than men with heart failure. Now there's evidence the same is true for strokes. And staying healthy shouldn't be overly complicated. That's the message behind a groundbreaking new health show on Vision TV. But first, hear your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Doctors in Montreal will soon be writing prescriptions that send patients to the art gallery instead of the pharmacy. Under a partnership with the Montreal Museum of Fine Arts, the first-of-its-kind program in Canada will allow members of a Montreal-based medical association to prescribe museum visits. It's designed to help improve the lives of patients with Alzheimer's disease, eating disorders, breast cancer, epilepsy, and mental illness. And in England, doctors will be able to write prescriptions for cooking and dance classes by 2023 as the government tackles loneliness. Prime Minister Theresa May described being lonely as one of the greatest public health challenges with links to heart disease, stroke and Alzheimer's. It's estimated 200,000 older people in Britain haven't had a conversation with a friend or relative in over a month. Also in Britain, here's the latest assault on seniors' discounts. The BBC is being urged to stop pickpocketing pensioners with its proposal to scrap or restrict free television cable for people over 75. The move was prompted by a report suggesting that the income, wealth, and life expectancy of pensioners had improved significantly. More than a million homes with older residents currently get free TV, a saving of about $250 a year. But now the BBC plans to reform the system by raising the eligibility age or a new means test to exclude wealthier pensioners. British journalist Piers Morgan is defending a tweet this week where he dad-shamed 50-year-old new father actor Daniel Craig. That's James Bond, of course. Morgan posted a photo of him carrying his newborn daughter strapped to his chest in a baby carrier using the hashtag emasculatedbond. They look ridiculous. Why? They are emasculated. Why? Because they are. Not surprisingly, Twitter blew up with many angry comments accusing Morgan of being uncertain of his own masculinity. A senior's home in England recently added something new to the menu. At the request of 89-year-old resident Joan Corp, management hired naked young butlers as a treat for elderly residents because you're never too old to appreciate some eye candy. 
The cheeky butler served a three-course meal while wearing only backless aprons and bow ties. After the meal, one 99-year-old resident wanted more and requested the men return for her 100th birthday celebration. I'm Libby Snymer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. When older women suffer strokes, they are more severe than in men with worse outcomes and a greater mortality rate. Doctors don't know all the reasons behind the gender differential, but they are making some key discoveries, like the link between irregular heart rhythm in older women and stroke. This past week, the 11th World Stroke Congress was held in Montreal, and Dr. Patrice Lindsay, a director with the Heart and Stroke Foundation, presented this research. About half of the people who suffer from stroke are women. Yes. But one-third more women die of stroke than men. Why is that? So women tend to be um, older when they have their stroke. Women live longer than men. And as you age, you not only just have risk factors for stroke, you have other health conditions as well. Things like an irregular heart rhythm called atrial fibrillation tends to happen more in women than older women than men. It has a high incidence of stroke. So 25% of all strokes in older women are related to atrial fibrillation. And when they have that kind of a stroke, they actually have a more severe stroke and then they don't do as well afterwards, so they do have increased mortality. And that's one factor. We don't know all the reasons, so we're starting to really break this down and look at all the different components that could be impacting the higher mortality rates. Is there an average age of women who have a stroke compared to an average age of men? Yes, the average age of women is a little bit older than men. So men is sitting around 70, 72, and women is sitting around 75, 76. These days, that's still not that old. It isn't that old. And what's actually more concerning is we're starting to see an increased number of strokes in people in their 30s and 40s, both men and women. Now, women at that age already have an increased risk because of pregnancy, but stroke is getting younger and older. I see here that almost twice as many women as men go to long-term care after a stroke. Mm -hmm. What are the reasons for that? So because women are older, they tend to already be living alone. When they have their stroke, it tends to have poorer outcomes. They're not able to return home safely to live totally independently, and they have nobody else at home that could be there to care for them. So even though they may have been okay if there was a spouse or a child that could support them, without that, a lot more will end up in nursing homes. What about rehabilitations? I I see here that less than half of stroke survivors who participate in rehab are women. It's an uneven split. There are many reasons for that. Some we don't understand. Some of them have to do with, depending on the community you're in, and access to those rehabilitation services. It's harder to be admitted to inpatient rehab. You usually stay three or four weeks, and women tend to be more worried about getting back to their home and their family and not giving themselves permission to spend that time to really deal with their issues, their symptoms, to regain their strength. But then for older women who have a more severe stroke, they're not actually even able to participate in rehab because of the serious impact of their stroke. They aren't able to do the exercises or to participate at the very active level that one would expect in inpatient rehab. What is the conclusion of all of this? 
is that we need to start paying more attention to sex and gender differences in stroke. In the past, we were just so new at learning about stroke and being acute stroke, we hadn't really started to think about gender differences. This has now brought to light all of these red flags that, hey, there is definitely differences. This is early information. We need to really start paying attention to this. Before we go, can you remind people the signs of stroke? We use the acronym called FAST. So F is for face. Is the face drooping on one side or the other? A is for arms. If you ask someone to lift both their arms, does one either not move or they're not able to hold it up? It's weak, so it starts to drop. S is speech. It's a very characteristic sign of a stroke where the speech might sound garbled or or incoherent. They might say things that don't make sense or it's jumbled. And the T is for time, and it's really critical that if you see any of those signs that as a witness or the person experiences, if they can, to call an ambulance. So T is time to call 911 immediately. Dr. Patrice Lindsay, thanks so much for this. Thank you very much for covering this. That was Dr. Patrice Lindsay talking about the research she presented at the 11th World Stroke Congress in Montreal. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, a new show tackles our fascination with staying young and the crazy things we do to fight aging. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. We get crazy diet advice. We get crazy exercise advice. We get crazy beauty advice. I think it's hard for people to come to terms with their own mortality. That's a clip from the second season of A User's Guide to Cheating Death. The provocative health show is now playing on Vision TV, and it explores all the ways people seem to want to live forever and look good doing it. Series creator and host Timothy Caulfield challenges misleading offbeat, and downright dangerous health trends fueled by celebrity pop culture. I chatted with him about it. I'm going to say over the past five, six, seven years, we've become increasingly aware of, first of all, how important sleep is, and two, that we are very sleep-deprived, not just in North America, although that is certainly the case, but really all over the world. So, yeah, this is an important topic, and it's a big social issue. Going without sleep for a very long time seemed like a badge of honor. For a very long time, it was kind of wimpy (laughs) to to sleep, right? You know, you wanted to be a hard-driving worker. You know, sleeping is for the weak. And if you took your job seriously, sleep would be kind of de-emphasized. And people always refer to people like uh, Churchill, right, or uh, Margaret Thatcher, these people that didn't need sleep and they succeeded. Well, you know, first of all, that's a little bit of a myth, but that kind of, I, I think, ethos pervaded popular culture until really recently. There's evidence to back up the value importance to sleep, not just to our physical health, but to our mental health. What are the things you're more at risk for if you don't sleep well or enough? Well, there's evidence, and some of this is correlation studies, so we have to be careful not to overinterpret it. But nevertheless, it's suggestive, right? I think for sure. Well, cardiovascular disease, there are mental health issues associated with sleeping less. Another thing where there's been a relatively strong association is in the context of obesity. And we're seeing that not just with adult populations, but also with kids, right, with teenagers not getting enough sleep. So again, we have to be careful not to overinterpret that data because it's, you know, there's a lot going on there. But I think that enough data has emerged to suggest that sleep is an important part of the equation. 
There is also evidence with respect to dementia. There's some really interesting research going on in that space. And as we get older, for many people, it gets more difficult to sleep. As we often say, you know, take it more seriously. What should we take away from this? Well, I hope that we do take away from it that we do need to take sleep seriously. And that message is already out there, I think. But, you know, the show really maps that out. And, and the other interesting thing, I think, in the show is it talks about how this is happening culturally, you know, all over the world. But I also hope people take away from it what the science really says about how to sleep better, what we can do. You know, pop culture all, doesn't always have this right. You know, the messaging that we hear in pop culture. Put away so your devices. Exactly. Uh, don't exactly. watch screens. That, that's right. And there's a great line in the episode about, you know, sleep effort. You know, that's not a good thing. You don't want to try harder to sleep, right? What you really want to do is make it become part of your lifestyle. You call our use of vitamins and supplements a craze. Why? I don't know if favorite's the right term. It drives me nuts. This is a multi-billion dollar industry, largely built on no science. And one of the reasons I'm so fascinated with this topic is it's presented to the public as if it's scientific. And so I'm fascinated by that, given the almost complete lack of evidence to support the idea that we should be taking all of these supplements and vitamins. There has been some pretty high-profile statements in the Journal of Medicine, in the Journal of the American Medical Association, basically saying, save your money. You're making expensive pee, you know, is basically what's happening. The bottom line is get the vitamins you need from the food that you eat. If your doctor or your healthcare provider says you need a vitamin, that's a different story. And follow the interesting research that is emerging and being done around things like vitamin D. But in general, don't follow the vitamin craze. Moving right along, sex and relationships. The quality of your relationships determines the quality of your life. It's hard to believe that people have to be told that. Right. One of the things that I learned even doing the show was how strong the evidence is to support exactly what you just said. Relationships matter. So this was a show that I was really happy that we did because I don't think that's said often enough. And, you know, loneliness can have a huge impact on people's health, not just their mental health, but their actual physical health. Does the ease of meeting people online or any, does that make people happier? These apps can be a way for people to meet. And we heard that. Uh, And in this crazy world, maybe that's a good thing. But unfortunately, there's also the flip side where um, there's evidence, and we heard this from numerous sources, that people are, you know, they're they're not giving the the relationship as long, you know, because they can flip and find someone else really quickly. So they're not giving it a chance. Right now, we have all of these forces, whether it's social media and how hard we work, uh, that is, I think, kind of driving us apart. So we really wanted to dig into that in this episode. So you looked at some of the apps that people use to meet each other, and, and what are the impediments? You had some couples in there that have been together for ages seem really happy. Isn't that a great scene? You know, everyone talking, you know, the different couples talking about the relationships and how important they are in their lives. The impediments are, you know, a lot of it, like we went to Japan, as you know, where they're actually really struggling with this issue. It's a a social problem. You know, people aren't meeting, aren't aren't developing relationships. So we see things emerging like surrogate relationships where we, we went and talked to someone who's a professional cuddler. Now they're all over the world. And this really speaks to the idea that people are are seeking out human touch. These days, every message is, especially as we age, sex is really healthy for you, sex is really good for you, have as much sex as you can. 
you know, I think Jen Gunter uh, talks about this in the episode. You know, there's huge variation in the amount of sex that's right for you, right? And that's the important thing. It's not a competition <laughs> to do it the weirdest, most ways that you can. It really is what's right for you and your partner. Sex is important, but it really is about relationships and um, using sex to facilitate those close bonds. And people should do what makes them happy. And I think <laughs> that was the message that really came from all the experts that we talked to. Okay. Tim Caulfield, thanks so much. Thank you, Libby. That was Timothy Caulfield, creator and host of A User's Guide to Cheating Death. It airs on Vision TV Mondays at 9 p.m. I'm Libby Snymer, and this is the Zoomer Weekend Review. Coming up, some have said if you want to give rock and roll a different name, call it Chuck Berry. More on the legendary singer-songwriter next. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, a new vision of aging. Support CARP with your membership today. Visit carp.ca. Welcome back to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Snymer. It's time for your International Arts Date Book, tips for those of you who are jetting around the world. Here's Jane Brown. The world's largest performing arts center has opened in Taiwan. The National Gaoxian Center features a 2,200-seat opera house, an outdoor performance space for audiences of 20,000, and a 2,000-seat concert hall equipped with the largest pipe organ ever built in Asia. The new center covers 35 acres in a spectacular outdoor park. An exhibit is opened at the Meadows Museum in Texas, exploring Salvador Dali's miniature paintings, some measuring just over a foot and others as small as three by two inches. Dali, Poetics of the Small, runs until December 9th. A new $15 million museum opens in Kentucky, highlighting bluegrass music past, present, and future. And San Francisco plans to honor historical women with public art. Currently, just two of the city's public statues honor real-life historical women. A new bill requires the city to increase the number of women statues to at least 30% of public art. The initiative in San Francisco will begin in 2020 with a statue of Maya Angelou outside the city's main library. I'm Jane Brown, and that's the International Arts Datebook. This week, we celebrate Chuck Berry, one of the most inventive and influential figures in the history of rock and roll. Born October 18, 1926, Berry was a pioneer in the early days of rock and roll, mixing hard-driving guitar riffs with the up-tempo sound of rhythm and blues. His showmanship and extended guitar solos became a staple in rock music. He inspired generations of guitarists to come, including Keith Richards, Eric Clapton, and John Lennon, who once suggested that if you tried to give rock and roll another name, you might as well call it Chuck Berry. Barry passed away in March of 2017, but his legacy will live on for generations to come. He was the first person inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but a bigger honor is that his music was considered so culturally significant that it was launched across our solar system in 1977. The Voyager spacecraft was equipped with a record containing some of the all-time top artists, Mozart, Beethoven, Bach, and Chuck Berry. Here he is with Johnny B. Good.
That was Chuck Berry with Johnny B. Good. October 18th marked the anniversary of his birth. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer, and thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. You've been listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, produced by MZ Media Limited. Executive producer, Moses Nimer. Produced by Christine Ross, Michelle Saunders, Paul Thomas, and Andre Lowy. This has been an exclusive podcast of the Zoomer Week in Review, heard every Sunday at noon on Zoomer Radio. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.